this morning. Woo, still cold out there. If you guys want to stand with us, we're going to start our time together. Time of song, time of praise this morning. So let's worship. Shadows, you win every battle. No, 
nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God. The battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, You guys ready for a great day at church? All right, so let's get our hearts ready by praying the Lord's Prayer and just getting on the same page. And let's just see what God wants to do today. So I invite you to pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I'm going to tell you, there are people here from all walks of life, people carrying all sorts of heaviness, some guilt, some shame, some brokenness, some with... uh, doctor's diagnosis that that God brings us to our knees. But here's the beautiful thing, is that as we sing and we raise our voices, God, we connect with the God of creation. And so I pray for these moments. Lord, they're not just things we do. They're things we're a part of. God, this is life. And so God, I pray that inside of this worship, inside of this service, that we experience something that goes beyond ourselves that we experience something that, that transforms us and that when we walk out this building today, God, we're not gonna look the same because we've had an encounter with the living God. And so lead us through this service. God, we love you, we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Man, we are so glad you guys are here today. Uh, we are gonna continue singing some songs about the victory that we have in Jesus uh, who has overcome sin and death and is risen, amen. darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to the hope beyond all creation waits with an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God we will not be moved when the earth gives way empty grave for the reason one is overcome now the silence breaks in the name of 
of Jesus As the heavens cry, let the earth respond All creation shouts With a voice of triumph To declare the reign of the Lord our God Will not be moved When the earth gives way For the risen one is overcome And for every fear There's an empty grave For the risen one is song together this morning, then we get to jump in the Word. Um, just uh, awesome, awesome just to join our voices together this morning. Um, so when I woke up, I checked my weather app, and it was 43 this morning, which probably doesn't sound like much if you're from the north, but a southern boy like me, it's tough, especially when I thought spring was here, but it does this every year, right? The fake spring into fake winter. Now, you know, uh, anybody else frustrated by that? Um, but I, I'm, I'm doing better now. Been through a service, so we're good. Um, but, and I just, and I have this thought, and it's a hope, and I can't base it on anything, but I believe heaven will be 75 degrees all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Again, problem is I have no basis. That's just a hope. Um, and and uh, it just did make me think, though, um, that this song that we do have, uh, really every song, but our hope um, can stand firm, and, and, and that's in Jesus, and, and that is a hope that will never let us down. I think of God's promises, 
and uh, this song that we get to sing that is about just that. I want to read this verse from, from John 16. It says, I have told you all these things, this is Jesus speaking, so that you may have peace in me. And here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And what a promise um, and what a savior. And so Jesus is the one that can declare these things and that, um, and that they are true. And, and we can have hope in that. Um, just that, that changes our life, not only here um, on earth, but in the, our eternal life, um, our eternity can change because of what Jesus has done for us. So um, just remember that this morning, church, as we sing and join our hearts together, our song together in this song that, that is about the hope that we have in Jesus. See you. 
I pray that our hearts would just be just silent in this moment before you that we would be grateful because of what you have done Jesus your sacrifice your kindness power in your name changes everything and so we are just thankful that we get to be a part of your story, God of redemption and making a way where there was no way because that is who you are. And so we thank you for that. I pray that our hearts, Lord, just that we would hear your voice, we would know your voice, that we would become more like you, Jesus, love like you, see those around us like you, have eyes to see and ears to hear and the strength in your spirit to obey. So we thank you for just the reminder, the encouragement we get from every voice here, God, reminder that we're not alone and uh, you are building your church, Jesus, bought with your blood. So we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for bringing us in. We love you so much. We praise you. We are so excited about your word, excited to continue on in worship this morning. We love you. We pray all this in the mighty, mighty, mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you so much for being here. Before you're seated, would you turn around and find someone maybe across the aisle that you don't know and you don't usually say hi to? Welcome them here this morning. Thank you so much for being here.
Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today on whatever that Sunday is out there. Uh, my name is Scott Verno, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in this space. Um, at Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus, because we believe that Jesus is, right, like all these spring breakers forgot to leave their weather back in their home, and, but they better take it with them when they go back, right? I get that garbage out of here. Um, so, so thank you for, for joining us, whether you're in person or joining us online. It means the world to us uh, to have this time to, to really work through messages and to work through worship. Uh, worship was incredible. Mary on the violin, isn't that awesome? I mean, it just adds an element to worship that's just so fantastic. So I, I appreciate her doing that. Um, so a couple quick announcements, and then we're going to jump into the message. So if you don't know, Easter's coming. Um, it's always coming. Uh, and so this year, to try and prepare for the size of the crowds that are going to show up, and there's just no way we can figure it out unless we add a fourth service. So we're going to have a service on Saturday night, which is the day before Easter, but don't worry, Jesus is still alive, right? Like, <laughs> you show up a day earlier, you won't be disappointed. So we're going to have that service at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. It's going to be a great time for you to come and just be present with the family and hang out and, and probably have just a little bit of a different experience, but the services will still be the same. Um, Sunday, 7.30, 9, and 10.45, um, the bookend services are probably going to be, there's not, none of them are going to be less, but the bookend services are probably going to be less than that middle one is going to be crazy. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. So, um, so try to spread out, show up, log in. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to that. Um, if you've not been baptized one of the things that we do twice a year, and you can be baptized anytime you want. I will, bapt I will baptize you today in a, wherever you want to go. That's, that's how I am. You a believer, you believe in Jesus, I will baptize you. But twice a year, we go down to the beach and we, we baptize people. And so the Sunday after Easter, if you've not been baptized, a perfect time to do it. Um, you can register. There's two QR codes in front of you on the chair or they've got it online. The one on the left, if you use that, it's an active QR code. Take you to where all of the announcements are, and there's a place there to register. Um, we've learned not to do them at sunrise anymore because at Easter, it's cold still. So we do sunset baptisms when the sharks are feeding. We would rather have sharks <laughs> than cold, right? So I, I don't know if that's probably wise, but anyways, it's fantastic. So I encourage you to to come and be a part of that. And even if you're not being baptized, it is one of the coolest services ever. You can come out there and cheer and, and have a good time. Um, and then um, there's one other, as we're moving towards Easter and just throughout the year, we need help in hospitality. So if you want to greet, you have to smile. Everybody can smile like you have the practice. If you don't smile, we'll, we'll put you in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. No, no, we'll teach you to smile. Uh, we need volunteers out front to greet, to welcome, um, help out with food, that sort of stuff. So if you're looking for a place to connect, that's the best place to start off or to stay, whatever you want to do. Uh, see Pam out in the foyer, out of the front desk, and she'll get you connected. Okay, um, so we are in our series called Amazing Grace. And, um, and before we jump into that, I'll, I'll, I'll just say this, that I woke up this morning, um, as, as I normally do, but this morning at, at four o'clock, I just was kind of laying there and... Um, thinking about someone in the church that's received a diagnosis, and uh, it's just not good. And, um, and I know many of you, maybe not particularly that area, but in others, are, are kind of in a similar situation. Could be mental illness, could be physical, could be spiritual. You, you maybe you're in a situation in a relationship that is just broken. Uh, do you mind if we just take a minute to pray? Is that okay? I mean, let's just take time in the service right now while we're all together and just lift some folks up. Heavenly Father, we love you. And um, 
as we gather our hearts together as the body of Christ, body of believers, Lord, your word is clear. That where we join our hearts together, Lord, you're present. And, um, and we know that the God of creation uh, is sovereign. Lord, you are the great physician. Um, you created these bodies. You know how they're supposed to work. And today we just pray that you be God. That in so many families, Lord, we're, we're praying for creative miracles to happen. And so, God, we just we say go be God to minister, to love, to care, whether it's through modern medicine or whether it's through the miraculous, we trust you. And God, for all the families struggling with um, a myriad of, of areas, I just pray that you would just move and find your place in our lives. And if you're there, and I know you already are and you're working, allow our eyes to be open to see what you're doing so that we can participate in the middle of the miracle that you're already bringing about. Oh, you're so amazing. God, you are living and active, and today we just hold on tight to see what you're going to do. We love you, we trust you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Um, so uh, this message today, as I was kind of processing and thinking through that, um, I was struggling. We're going to look at John chapter 9, so we're going to get there in a second, and I'll set everything up. But um, all week long, I've been reading it, and, and there's an easy message to get from the chapter, and the message is still the same. But I remember there's some underlying stuff, and I could not figure it out. You ever be to that place where you just could not figure it out? And I hate getting on this stage and just not having that one piece, and I got it at 5.30 this morning. So guess who's going to get it? You're going to get it. Um, I, and so everybody says, Scott, preach with enthusiasm. Well, I'm about to run you out of this building, because I'm so excited about what I, I figured out. I don't figure it out. What God showed me in this it's so hard to study scripture as that first century Jewish person because I am not, right? And so there's sight lines that we don't see, we don't understand, but when you get the full picture of the scripture, it just really speaks to where we're at. And I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't make the message that much more profound, it just allows you to know that you're holding scripture in a way that will be helpful in, in studying. So we're in a series called Amazing Grace, and what we're doing is it's the 250th anniversary of the song Amazing Grace, and we're going back through scripture, looking at those areas where God shows amazing grace. Yes, Jesus, Easter, resurrection, amazing grace, but that's not the only spot. God is a God of grace, and it started all the way in the very beginning, Genesis chapter three. We talked about it in, in, um, with Adam and Eve. That first day that sin set in, God covered their nakedness. He covered their sin, and then he moved them out of the garden because he didn't want things to get worse. He didn't want them to eternally be stuck that way, and then he walked alongside them to help transform them, to bring them into a new place. So you could say that grace covers us and grace walks alongside us, if you were to look at Genesis chapter three. Then the following week, we looked at Genesis 22, where God asked Abraham to, to sacrifice the thing that was most dear to him, which was his son. And at the last minute, God steps in and he says, uh-uh, stop. And we find that God is the one that provides for us. And more than just provides, he's the one that makes a way for us to be back in connection to God. So ultimately, it was the foreshadowing of Jesus. So grace provides. And then last week, Kat taught, and she did such a masterful job of taking us through Matthew chapter 3, which brings John the Baptist and Jesus into, into view for us, making the transition into the New Testament. And I studied that thing, and she and I studied it, and we talked about it, and she came out with a completely different point. And that's what I love about her, and that's what I love about other communicators, is they, they show things that, that I'm not even seeing, and it's so powerful, where Jesus shows up, and, John is, and Jesus says, okay, it's time for you to baptize me. And John's like, ah, He's like, man, I am not even worthy to untie your shoe. And Jesus says, no, 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 you have to do this for us to fulfill all righteousness. And you see Jesus not just push us to the side, but include John's story and connects it to his own for us. 
And it's exactly what God does. Grace is for us. It connects us. It uses our story to be a part of the bigger story. Such an amazing message that she taught last week. And then today, we're going to move into John chapter 9, which is where the very words, some of the words, from Amazing Grace come from. I was blind, but now I see. So in the series, you're going to actually get to read the scripture that those original words were derived from. So let me go ahead and set it up for you. Um, we're going to, um, you need to know that, that we're in Jerusalem, so we're in the city. Um, we're following, just prior to this chapter, Jesus is in Jerusalem. They're there for the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of the Booths or the, or the, the celebration of the Booths, which is a remembrance of God protecting and taking care of his people as they were moving across the wilderness or across the desert. And so they, they were living in temporary housing, tents, booths, setting them up, tearing them down, moving from place to place for 40 years. God provided for them while he was moving them from point A to point B. He was taking them into the land that he was going to give them. And so this festival celebrates those moments. But I'm going to tell you on the front side, there are pieces of it culturally that we miss and I'm going to pull it all together at the end and tie it all together. So just know that he's in town for this. Probably the biggest thing you need to know on the front side is that Jerusalem would have been packed. Like there would have been so many people. So when we get into this miracle that happens, this blind person has to navigate through streets that would have probably been pretty busy. It would not have been a very simple thing to do. So it kind of gives you the setting of where we're at. So you have the Festival of the Booths. You also have this place called the Pool of Siloam. S-I-L-O-A-M, in Jerusalem, and it's very significant. And so we have pictures of it, y'all, because we know you guys love pictures, right? Is that what y'all love? So no maps today, pictures. And so here's an, an artist rendering, not a Scott rendering, of the pool of what it maybe looked like in antiquity. And um, I just want you to notice for a second, because we're going to move to the modern day picture of it, but I want you to see the steps over here on the side. Step, 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 plateau. Step, 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 plateau. Step, 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 plateau, and down into the water. Um, those steps are a trademark of what you see on the outside of the temple. You say, Scott, how do you know that? I know that because I blew my calf out one year trying to run up the temple steps. The whole group was up taking a picture, and I was messing around, not paying attention, and so I started to run up there, and then I decided, y'all are going to have to come down here, because my calf is not going up there anymore. Step, 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 plateau, and I tried to jump the plateau, and it just didn't happen, because I'm such an athlete, right? Um, so this is what it might have looked like in antiquity. People would go to the Pool of Siloam to dip in there to purify themselves as they were making their way to the temple for the purification or for the, um, to, to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let's go to the to the actual picture of what they find um, in Jerusalem, which is right here. Nope, there it is right there. Um, so this is the pool, and you're like, doesn't look anything like it. Nope, because it was covered up by tons of earth. Now, you see right here the steps? Step, 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 plateau, step, 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 plateau, step, 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 plateau. Same marker that was here. In 2004, um, a sewer pipe busted. That's a lovely thing. And... Um, the, the, in Jerusalem, they had to send in the waterworks company. They go in there and start digging up. And as they were digging, they start to find these stairs. And as soon as they find that, they stop everything. They fix what they need to fix. And then they stow and they start digging it up. And they discover and they believe that this is the actual place where the pool of Siloam is. Um, and so you're saying, Scott, how does it relate to the other picture? And so here's the mountain that was on the side or the hill on the side. You got the steps come down. This over here would have been where the pool was and it hasn't been dug out and hasn't been cleared yet to where you can see what it is. But this is where people would gather. They would go down into the water and then they would make their way up to the temple. Now, um, 
When did this come about? So Hezekiah, 700 to 800 years prior to Jesus. Um, he's a fearful that the Assyrians are going to come in to attack, and so he digs this, um, this uh, not a cistern, he takes water, and he runs a tunnel underneath Jerusalem. They tunnel through rock, and they, they navigate this water all the way through under Jerusalem to fill up this pool because it has to be living water. Living water means moving water. Fills up this pool, and so they use it two parts. Number one, to protect in case they come under siege, and number two, as a part of, of purification. Now, if you go onto Google today and you look up this pool, you may find this other picture right here. And what, what happened is prior to 2004, they thought this was the pool. Imagine trying to get a million people through that. It's not. This is a part of the tunnel. Then if you see the tunnel, it comes from the right side, it just travels down this way, and it goes on out that backside and runs all the way down through to get to the bottom. And so they uncovered one part of it. They thought this was the pool, but it's really just a piece of it. And so go back, look at it, find some cool video, and you will absolutely love it. Is that cool to see? So today, imagine that big pool, this person going in there to be purified and to be cleansed and ultimately to be healed. So, um, so now let's dive in and start reading. Um, what else is there that you need to know? I'm just going to teach you as we go. Here we go. I feel like there's something I'm forgetting, but I'll fix it as we go. So John chapter 9. Think of all of the sight lines that are coming together, okay? Uh, light, blindness, sin, water, purification, baptism, all of those things will come crashing together here in a second. So chapter 9, verse 1. It says, as he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. That's important, blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. And so these first few verses, we start off with a question and we start off with theology. Right now, something you need to know is that during this time in antiquity, there was a belief, a theological belief, that if you were born blind or if you were born with, with other um, disabilities, that it's clearly a sign that someone messed up somewhere, that someone has sin in their life. Because if you're born blind, then God clearly hasn't blessed you. Something is wrong there. And so their theology was that it was either the parents had sinned, or even they had a theology that taught that the baby in utero could have sinned, which might have also caused the blindness. And so when the disciples show up, whether they're trying to ask for clarification or whether they're trying to let Jesus know that they know aspects of the law, they ask the question, who sinned? This person or his parents that they would be, um, that they would, that he would be blind. Now, let me ask you a question. You ever have somebody talk about you in the third person while standing right next to you? It's pretty frustrating, right? Like walk up next to you and go, who, who really messed up? Scott's parents or Scott, right? Like just talking about Scott while having their arm around me. You ever been in a place in life where people look at you and they're just like, they don't think. So I want you to think for a moment about this person, their plight in life. Number one, they're born into this world and from their very early age, they're taught that they are not blessed by God. And so they're already carrying what they feel is a curse. But then society lines up right behind that and they're shoved to the outside, they're not included in worship, and they're just left there to live in this part of the world, begging for alms, begging for help, but ostracized and set on the side. So I want you to be mindful of the person in this story that the disciples were referencing as they were looking at him. So we start off with a question, who sinned? And the question is removed from themselves. Jesus responds and says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed. Jesus says, mm-mm, God's about to do something. 
God's about to reveal something, and so pay attention, get ready. God's going to do something special here. Verse 4, he says this, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so verse 4 is like the sense of urgency, that there's night coming and I'm here, and so we've got to do the work that God has, has called me to do. And so God's about to reveal something, and so prepare yourself, get ready. There's a sense of urgency. I want you to pay attention. And then Jesus declares that I'm the light of the world. At the end of the sermon, I'll pull in this greater point of what's going on in the Festival of the Booths, because I believe he, he connects it back, the Festival of the Tabernacle, he connects it back to what's going on in Jewish society at the time. And so he declares to them, I'm the light of the world. Now, verse 6, I'll go ahead and give you the foreshadowing. Jesus does this on the Sabbath. So Jesus loves to stir the pot. And so what he's about to do in verse 6 is important when you dissect this verse to see what Jesus does. It says, when he had said this, he spat on the ground. And what did he do? He made mud. And so by definition, he's working with the saliva, and he spread the mud on the man's eyes. And so he made the mud, and he spread the mud. And so according to the Sabbath, Jesus is breaking the law. Verse 7, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. And so he sends him over to this pool, which is once again connected to the Feast of the Tabernacles or, or the booths. And, um, and so he goes over there, he washes, he's cleansed, and he comes back healed. All right, now verses one through seven, that's the miracle. That's the beautiful part. That's the setup. That's God creating us, getting us ready for what to know. Now, if we were a first century Jewish person, we would have extra sight lines on this that I'm gonna give you later to see what's about to happen. And so this person is healed, and now they're gonna come back. And imagine, this is the greatest day of his life. He's like, yes, like I can see. This blindness has been lifted, the curse is gone, and he returns home to share this story with everybody, and you know they're going to be so excited about what God has done. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, nah, but it's someone like him. This guy's going to have to work really, really hard to prove that he used to be blind. Wait a minute, I want you to think about this. How crazy it is and how ironic it is that now the people who can see can't even see the guy who was healed. So do you see what's kind of being flipped upside down in this message that there's all sorts of things spinning around? And so um, he says, no, it's someone like him. He kept saying, I, I am the man. Like, I'm the man. He didn't say it that way, but he's like, I'm, I am the one. I'm the guy that was healed and here I am and I'm better. He says, but they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I have no idea. Remember, he was blind. He has no idea where Jesus went. Matt gave me that earlier. He has no idea. He probably didn't know he spit on the mud either. Right? He just had no idea. He just knows. He made some mud, put it on my eyes. I went and did what he said. Boom. Now I can see. And it's interesting, this guy can now see, and people are trying to decide whether or not he can see or whether he was even blind. Isn't that weird? I, I, you guys aren't responding like the nine o'clock service, and I, so maybe I haven't described it enough, but, but it's just so ironic, isn't it? It's just so ironic that the people that can see, the story's starting to get flipped, they can't see. So friends, let's just, let's just check back in with him. Started off his life cursed, felt cursed. Started off his life begging less than, stuck out of temple worship, and now he goes back home as a person that's healed. Friends, family, those that are around him, the community, nah, you probably weren't even blind. 
So just think of what this must feel like for this person. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now you might say, why did they do that? Um, Because he was excluded from temple worship. You have to go back in and be approved. Your healing has to be approved. So they're taking him back into the Pharisees to get all the approval so he can move back into the life of the faith. Verse 14, now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened up his eyes. That's a point of clarification for us to know that everything's about to go south because they're gonna get upset about this. Verse 15, then the Pharisees also began to ask him, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Can you see the answer becoming more simple? They're like, so, so tell me again what happened. Put mud on my eyes, told me to wash, and now I see. He put mud on my eyes, told me to wash. See, he's here. It's a very simple message. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, who do you, what do you say about him? Um, it was your eyes that he opened. And he said, he is a prophet. Now let me spend just one minute explaining to you the challenge with the, with the, with the Sabbath. And so Jesus performed um, seven miracles on the Sabbath. And we may all go, what is this about the Sabbath? What you need to know is that, is that God created the Sabbath for humankind to find rest. And so the Sabbath wasn't created for men and women to worship the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for our healing, to help us. And so at its very core, the Sabbath is there to to serve us, to provide us rest. And so Jesus, looking at the laws that were written at the time, is thinking they've totally misunderstood this. That if you're a person that's sick and you fall sick on the Sabbath, well, you better make it to the next day or otherwise you're in big trouble. And he, so every chance he got, he would elevate this point. You cannot lose the person in sight of the process. Don't let the rules and regulations become more than the people. And so he would constantly heal in order to raise this issue that they had there. It wasn't that he was breaking law. He was trying to uh, teach them truly what the heart of God was and the understanding of the Sabbath. And so, um, so that's what the Sabbath point was all about. They were constantly trying to get them on a technicality that they didn't uh, correctly understand. And so now you have this person who's started off his life cursed, has been shunned by his community, shunned by those people that are closest to him. Now the church, or we can't call it the church, the Pharisees, the religious ruling order. Ah, probably not even blind, right? Like really struggling. If you go on and read verse 18, it says, the Jews did not believe that he'd been born blind and that he had received his sight. So the church didn't even believe him. This guy can't catch a break. Right? I mean, it's just terrible to think that he's fighting so hard for this healing in his life. It says, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And I, I, when I read this, I thought, yay, the parents are going to come and support him and love him. Let's read on. Verse 19. And asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, uh, I say, uh, they didn't say, uh, he said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And you imagine he's like, wait, what? Mom, mom, what are you doing? Right? Like, how can you do me like this? Now, I, I just for their sake, let me say this. Remember, they were probably accused their whole lives of sin that caused their son to be blind. So they have their own brokenness and issues that they're walking through and they're dealing with. Verse 22, and now we're going to find out why. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. It's such a rare thing to find religious people using control as a way to keep people in line. 
I'm going I'm to tell you, it's not a matter of if, but when, when the church offends you. And I hope I'm not ever on that other side, but I'm going to tell you is why we work to connect people to Jesus. Because we are imperfect people trying to distribute a perfect gospel. And at some point, we're going to mess up. And here we see exactly that taking place. And so they're trying to control the parents. Verse 24. So it's the second time. They called the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, have you ever just had enough? I mean, where you just had enough. And some of you, this is your story, where you just had enough of a church, and you're just out. Like, I can't take it anymore. It's not right. He answered, and he starts getting snarky. That's my word. He says, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And that's where your word comes from. So he's, he simplified his message. I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Um, why do you want to hear it again? And here's a really great thing to say. Do you also want to become his disciples? Do you also want to see? Then they reviled him, which means they heaped insults and abuse on him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The verse that Kat read last week, John says, um, do not presume that you have Abraham. He says, because I can raise up uh, for God from these stones. Right? He's like, don't, don't just assume that you have this connection that's there. Now, verses 30 down through 33, this is, this is such an important part, and, and it gets to the heart of the message, and we're, we're gonna, I'll pull it all back around full circle, but this person crafts a perfect argument. Um, if you were in debate class in school, this would be a perfect argument to get a person to a place to where they have no choice but to choose one way or the other. They're put into a corner. And so using Greek logic, Jewish theology, this person says this. The man answered, here's an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys his will. Never since this world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. There's, they had no choice. You know, you know what he did? He basically turned the lights on. Turned the lights on. And they had to look and decide if they were going to choose to believe or if they were going to go in a different direction. And of course, they chose well. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born entirely in sin and you were trying to teach us and they drove him out. They did not. The light was turned on and they decided that's not, that's not at all what we believe and you got to go. And they drove him out. Verse 35, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in scripture. Jesus heard that they had driven him out and when he found him, Jesus, the only one, not the religious people, not the parents, not the family, not the, not the community. Jesus goes out and finds him and he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him because he didn't see him. Jesus said to him, you've seen him and the one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The Lord is the same in both con contexts that it's mentioned, but the worship shows the aspect of the spiritual change that happened inside of his heart. And then here's this verse. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment. I read that and I went, oh, that sounds like such a weird direction to go. I'm gonna give you a better way to hear this. Jesus said, I came into this world to turn the lights on. Judgment is to make a discernment between right or wrong. You have a choice to make. I've come into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. So that some of the Pharisees near him, and look at this, a different question, near him heard this and said to him, 
surely we're not the blind ones, are we? Isn't it interesting the story started off with one question and now the question is personal. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. And he's talking about that, that religious self-righteousness that causes, that blinds us so often, not allowing us to be able to see. Cool story. I love it. And the way do you get the rest of it? Because here, here's where I think um, kind of started to unpack it for me. And it's not that it's super profound, but you put all the pieces together and you can see the rich meaning of what they would have understood at the time. And so the story's full of symbolism culture, nuance, theology, and it would be so easy to miss it. And so let's just get everything on the table. All right. So let me tell you some of the things that are here at play. So in the Feast of the Tabernacle, and I already explained that, that's, that's them remembering God, taking them from one place to another and protecting them and caring for them all along the way. There were two parts of the service or the week that really stood out that we would, that would be lost on us. And so in the evenings, they would light these giant candelabras, and they'd put them up high in the temple so that it would light the temple and light all around so that when you looked up, you could see this light. And for the Jewish nation, what it was was a remembrance that God's faith or the Jewish faith would be a light to the world, that when people would look, they would be drawn into the light to be able to see that clarity. So you can see the, the understanding of those candelabras that would be lost on us being the light of the world and Jesus making reference to the fact that I am the light of the world. Can you see how he's making that distinction? Maybe even in sight of the candelabras when he says it. And so you have this, this going on. Then you have the Pool of Siloam, which is where the pilgrims would go to prepare for worship. Baptism, if you will. Um, but here's the part that you'd be missing. In the Feast of the Tabernacles, priests would go and they'd get these giant cisterns of water and they would take them up to the temple and they would pour them down the steps of the temple and the water would run down the edge of the temple as if it was going out into the world. Once again, in the same understanding as the light, this was that faith that was going out into the world that was bringing change, the living water, that hope that was now going out into the world. And so when, once again, it was an expression of being sent or of going out. So you see those two parts in what's, in what's happening in the message. Then you also have a blind person, which represents all of us. You have mud, which represents sin. And then you have, just for good measure, the Sabbath, because Jesus was trying to pick a fight. And so here we go. Here's the retelling of the story. So Jesus finds this blind person, or they, they come upon this blind person, and the question is asked about a person that's removed from them, who sinned, this person or that person, right? That this person is born blind. And so you can see it symbolizes this brokenness, this person that's lost. And he says, neither. And the truth is, he says, neither his parents sinned, but he could say, yes, all of them did, because it's really the plight of humanity. We're all born blind because of what we studied in Genesis chapter three. And so we all have sin in our lives and we all have a form of blindness. This just happened to be what he was using in the story. And so Jesus declares in the story that I am the light of the world. And then he takes mud and he puts it in this person's eyes Think of not being able to see, think of darkness, think of that dirtiness. And he asks him to go to the pool of Siloam and he is baptized, he's washed, and then he is sent. So think about it, he's healed in that moment and then where does he go? He goes back into the community. And now as he's sent and he's out in the community, he starts to do what? He starts to share his story, doesn't he? He's like, I was blind, but now I see. He's like, this Jesus comes along and he's in water, I've some mud, I put it in my eyes, I was blind, now I see. And they're like, nah. God bless you. No, I'm going to tell you. There's this Jesus. Where is he? I have no idea, but I'm telling you, he did something profound inside of my life. I don't fully understand it. I was blind, but now I see. But he starts, some believe. Some are like, yeah, that's him. 
Some didn't. Community was kind of apathetic, but he goes into the church and they, they have a hard time seeing. They go through this whole process, but here's the big point, that at some point, all of these people were confronted with an ultimate truth and a very simple story that's shared. And that message goes out and, and it leaves them and it leaves us with this question that I think is right at the heart of the text. No longer who sinned, that person or his parents. How about this question? Am I blind? It's so easy to look at someone else and go, but what about that person? How about this text ends with us considering this light of the world that has been sent out, sharing the testimony, and we're gonna be confronted with it, and it causes every single one of us to stop and say, wait a minute, am I blind? And there's two responses to it, and so let's run down those responses. Number one, you may say, Scott, I, I've, I'm a believer. I've accepted Jesus, and so that my, my eyes are open. And, and here's what I would say to you. Be careful. Be careful. Because in the heart of this message, that means that we are supposed to be sent. We are supposed to take that message and share it with other people to invite them in. But it's so easy, just as it is in every religious order, in every denomination, in every faith system, to at some point think that you are the gatekeeper and to set yourself up as an impediment and not as a vehicle that invites people in. And so I would say to you, just be careful. Remember that if you are a person who can see, then you are a person who is being sent to take the light of the world to the rest of the world. And so ask yourself the question, am I blind? As a church, are we blind? Are there people that we're not seeing? Are we standing in the way of people being able to experience faith and be able to experience God? And so you have to wrestle with that. You have to get to that place. Jesus is the light of the world, and we're called to share that light with others. And then the second part, to those who are blind. And we ask the question, where is grace in this text? For me, in a world where friends, family, neighbors, and even in the church will reject you, there's one who will not. I love that Jesus himself goes and finds this guy. Jesus is the only one. Jesus goes and finds this person and reveals truth to him and loves him, and you see that transformation happen in his heart. And so please hear me. If you're here today, and maybe you grew up, and my, I, this is where my heart is today, maybe you grew up in a, in a system that shamed you, in a system that beat you up, in a system that told you you weren't blessed or you were less than, this message is for you today. There's a freedom for you to discover in the love of God that maybe you've never allowed. Maybe you've been blind to the own, to the own freedom that God wants to give you by releasing that garbage and choosing to love the God who loves you in a way that you've never allowed him to love you like. Of course, if you've never accepted, you've never believed, then, then, then maybe you've never had that opportunity. Today's the day that you can open up your heart and you can choose to believe and love the God who loves you. Your friends will let you down, your parents will let you down, the church will absolutely let you down, but God will love you well right where you find yourself today and you'll begin on this journey where you become the one that is now sent to say to people, I don't really know what happened. I just know that I was blind and now I see. And it's in that simple message that hearts have been changed and transformed for over 2,000 years. Amen? Amen? And so my prayer is that all of us would open up our hearts today and receive this word. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you for just the simplicity of a message that can run so deep and there's so many nuances that can be missed. But God, just doing the work to get to that place further just lets me know 
that God, it doesn't matter the culture, it doesn't matter the place, it doesn't matter the sin, that there's none of us that can get so far away that you can't find us. I pray for healing of hearts today. Lord, there have been people that have been marginalized and minimized and shoved down by religious systems and shamed for a long time. They've been excluded from your salvation, from your grace. And today, God, I pray that the blinders would be removed and that all of us would be able to see your amazing grace given to us in the person of your son, Jesus. So God, live inside of us. Are we sinners? Yes, all of us. Are we in need of a savior? Yes, all of us. And so God, I pray that you'd bring us to that place to where we can ultimately proclaim you as our Lord. We love you, we trust you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I'd like to invite you, if you will, to stand. And um, Tammy's gonna sing this last song. I encourage you to sing along with her. Um, Addie's down front, and I'll be down front on this side if, you, if you'd like some prayer. We also have kneelers down front. If you wanna come down and spend some time just in prayer, we encourage you to do that as well. Thank you. And the things 
being with us together today. I love this story. It reminds me of a time uh, we were down in Belize uh, leading a vacation Bible school with a bunch of children. And uh, as we're teaching this story, uh, you could see the wheels just turning. And for a moment, we actually think like, wow, the, the lights are coming on. But then we realize these kids are just trying to wait for the moment that they can get out of VBS to make a mud pie and slap in somebody's face in Jesus' name. Um, my goodness, how cool is it that we get together? I, I, uh, I am so thankful that we get to be here together. Uh, if you are new with us this morning, we invite you to the Next Steps room right out in the lobby. We'd love to find a way that you can connect. Or if you've been here for a while and you wanna know maybe how to get connected to a group or involved in another way, uh, we would love to have a conversation with you. Let's pray as we leave this place. God, we love you. God, we thank you for being the God who despite our own blindness, God, despite uh, those things that seem to come between us in the world, those, those things that we think take us out of ministry, that disqualify us. God, you use those things uh, for good. God, that you are the God who restores, who heals, who saves, and who chases after us. God, sometimes long after the rest of the world has forgotten about us, that you are the one who comes and finds. You're the one who seeks and to save. So God, we thank you for that. I pray that as we leave this place, we would share our stories. God, as simple as they may be, that we had an interaction with you, that you impact our lives and that we're just gonna share that story so that other people can connect to the love and the power, the forgiveness, the grace, and the joy that is found in your son, Jesus. Give us that, give us that story, give us those relationships. And God, we're just gonna be humbled in all of it. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Y'all have a wonderful week. We love you.